podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. I am the, uh, my name's Aaron Stern, for uh, anybody that doesn't know, I'm the college and 20-somethings pastor here at New Life, um, and I le- have the, had the privilege of leading the mill. The mill meets on Friday nights at 7 in the theater, and uh, you saw an, uh, an, a video just a little bit earlier for Life, which is the mill fall retreat, and so I just want to take a moment and uh, tell you a little bit about that. If you're a college student or a 20-something, um, we do have our, our meeting, a, a weekly meeting for anybody that's interested on Friday nights, but we do have a retreat once a year in October, and um, it's October 22, 23, and 24 uh, up at Crooked Creek Ranch in Winter Park, Colorado, and it's an amazing time uh, to be able to get away to grow in God as well as to grow in community, and uh, so I encourage you to pick one of these up if, you, if, uh, if you're interested in that, and uh, register either um, through a card or you can uh, register online as well. Um, I want to start by talking tonight um, about a frustration of mine, and it's with a a utensil. And it's one of these. Anybody ever seen one of these before? This This is a spork. This is one of the most frustrating pieces of silverware that I think I've ever used in my whole life. Um... You know, they make it so that you can only need one utensil um, so that you don't have to get two, a spoon and a fork, so they m- mix them together. But have you ever really tried to use a spork as a fork? These little prongs are worthless. They pick up nothing. And if you really need to pick something up and you try to pick them up, because of the way that it's, it's designed, you know, the curvature of the spoon it bends. And so obviously then you're like, you know, then you push it down and you break the prongs and now they're done. Somebody told me just recently about a, you can also find sporks with a knife on the handle. <laughs> Which I, I thought, that's really nice. This is, it's a, it's a wonderful idea and that's where it should stay, an idea because if you think about that, if it's sharp enough, it's going to cut you if you're using it as a spoon, fork thing. And if it's not, then the chances are you're going to have to really saw at it or something like that. And then you have to grab the handle that you cut your food with, and then you have your food all over your hand as you try to pick it up with the spork that doesn't work. And so then you spoon it up with the broken tongs. A waste. A waste of plastic, a waste of... A, it's. And I, but I wonder sometimes if there are too many of us trying to be sporks, trying to be all things to all people, all by ourselves. See, because a good spoon needs a good fork, and a good fork needs a good knife. And I think that we are people that need each other. See, I, I might be a spoon, but you might be a knife, and you might be a fork, and some of you might be a ladle. And others are you, of you are punch bowls, and we all go together to make a beautiful banquet, to make a beautiful set, a beautiful table. But I wonder if we haven't engaged in this idea that we, all we need is ourselves. We last week talked about Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians here for the last, actually, several months, but we're in Ephesians and talking about 
what it looks like to be the people of God. And if we look at Ephesians, starting in chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because there are These are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. If we were we were in chapter four last week, and of course in the beginning of chapter four, verse three, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, what's happening here is that Paul takes the first few chapters of the book of Ephesians and talks about the work of Christ Jesus and the fact that we are in the family of God. Of course, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's, a, he's a, a, an apostle to the Gentiles. He's calling to the Gentile people, saying that you're in the family of God. This is not restricted only to the Jewish people. And so welcome into the family. And then he goes on in 4, 5, and 6, really to start delineating what it looks like to be in the family of God. I have four boys, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith. And... Um, and they, they keep my, my, myself and my wife extremely busy. Um, we have lots and lots of activity at our house. We really do love it. But, but there is nothing that they can do that will make them any more or any less of a stern boy. They are sterns. And they can make a mess of their lives, which we pray is not the case, but they could, and, but they would still be a stern boy. Or they could make straight A's and be the valedictorians and all those types of things, and they'll still be a stern boy. Neither of those things make them any more or any less of a stern boy. What Paul is saying here is, in the first few chapters, he's saying, These are the, this is, it is grace and grace alone that causes you to enter into the family of God. We sometimes get works and what this looks like and what we're supposed to do mixed up with grace. And so he outlines what that looks like in regards to grace and, and then starts to talk about works and what we're supposed to look like. And it's important to recognize that, the, that, that it is the things and the things that we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to look that don't determine us getting into the family, but they demonstrate that we are in the family. So though my boys are all stern boys, there are some things that I want them to learn to demonstrate that they are in my family, that they are stern boys. And so Paul, not only in the, in the book of Ephesians, but also in his letter to the church at Colossae, also in his letter to the church at Corinth, also to the letter uh, to, his church, to the church at Rome, to the church at Galatia, etc., he, he takes time to talk about what they should look like. But I think one of the things that we really need to, to understand is that he is interested in helping shape a community. He's not just admonishing and encouraging random individuals at the church at Ephesus. He is encouraging and shaping the, the community. What does this community look like? What is the form of this, of this people of God that live in this particular place called Ephesus? And he talks about here in Ephesians 5, he gives a, a couple of lists don't even have a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. So that's one little section. And then, nor should they be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Sexual sin and sins of speech. Unbridled sexual license, as well as untamed speech, will break apart relationships. So he's talking about some things that will break apart the community that he's talking about forming and shaping. 
He's giving some marks. He's giving some texture. He's giving some, so what is this, what is this uh, family, this community supposed to look like? Now this community, and I'm going to use the word community several times, many times, actually probably tonight. But I, but I think some, I wonder sometimes in our, in our culture if the word community hasn't actually lost some of its power. We have a TV show called Community. Right next door we have a community college. Um, there's actually, and some of you have probably seen it, there's a, uh, Colorado Springs has, has some sort of, I don't know exactly which department of Colorado Springs it is, but their tagline is, we create community. Um, we have community events. We do community outreach. We have, I mean, the community is a pretty strong or, or pretty, pretty frequently used word. But when we're talking about community, and we're talking about Christian community, we're not just talking about a Christian social club, the gathering together of Christians just from time to time for a good time. What Paul is referring to and what he's trying to shape is something much deeper, much more, much more profound, much more mysterious, actually something much more divine. And he's trying to say to these people here in Ephesus, this is what you're supposed to look like. But there's something mysterious going on here, and it's really the work of the Holy Spirit. He's talked very much about the, the mysterious, unseen work of the Holy Spirit and the development of the community of God. Now, here's the problem. Our culture encourages rugged individualism. See, as Paul is shaping and as God is communicating, I want a people, our culture is encouraging rugged individualism. I mean, think about it. Our culture basically began out of rugged individualism, right? We can do whatever we want to do. We can, you can be whatever you want to be. We sometimes might even tell our kids that. You can be whatever you want to be, Johnny. There's actually some stats that have been... It's not like we're even actually going in the right direction. We've just been rugged individuals from the beginning and continued to go in the, in the way of individualism and, and even to the extent of not only individualism but also isolationism. There's some stats that I'll, I'll read. There was a, just in regards to America and our American culture. Um, talking about... It was actually a poll done by Gallup that, that talked about uh, Americans having the most options because of the opportunities that we have in our culture, and yet we are among the loneliest people in the world. There's a term that's being uh, used, and it's called crowded loneliness. In massive amounts of crowds, but some of the loneliest people in the world. We have the, we're in the generation that has the greatest ability to interact. Facebook, Twitter, text, e- email, cell phone, all those things. And yet we're considered the most disconnected generation in history. And in the last 20 years, uh, bowling is up by 10%. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Any, any bowlers in here? Do we have any bowlers? Okay, a few bowlers. Well, bowling is on the rise. Bowling in leagues is down 40%. That means people are going to the bowling alley by themselves. Card playing. Any card players in here? Not solitaire on your computer, please. Any card players with other people. Do we have any card players? Okay, you guys are proving the point. Uh, Card playing as a social activity down 25%. Social evening with someone in your neighborhood, one of your actual neighbors, down 33%. Um, Having friends over to the house, not necessarily from the neighborhood, down 45%. Family dinners, 
They were not even talking about inviting somebody from outside of your own family to the dinner table. Just a family getting together, down 33%. Social clubs and meetings are down 58%. The number of full-service restaurants in America over the last 20 to 30 years, down 25%. Casual cafes, down 25%, down 50%. The number of fast food outlets, up 100%. Drive-through windows, all by ourselves in our cars. The number of hours on the internet per week in the last 10 years. In 1999, it was seven hours per person on the internet per week. It has now doubled. It is almost 14 hours per week per person. We're going in a direction. Our culture encourages us to go in directions that are individual and isolated. And think about it. We're, I think it's part of our selfish human nature that actually causes us to want to be rugged individuals. I have four boys, as I mentioned, and just the other, not too long ago, my wife and I asked, and actually, I say it's not too long ago. It probably happened this afternoon. It's probably happened multiple times over the last several months. But um, I, I'll ask, you know, we've asked them, hey, we, you know, can you go clean your room? Would you, you know, Brooks, would you do this? Parker, would you go do that? And they've started doing this thing every now and then where they'll fall on the floor and then start and say, hey, can you go do this? My muscles aren't working. That's the... <laughs> That's the response. My muscles, it's amazing if I sent them to the, to the freezer to go get ice cream, how quickly their muscles would work again. But I think, you know, we don't do that. At least I hope we don't do that. But and yet, maybe we actually do. We might not throw ourselves on the floor, but we try and get out of things and say, well, my muscles don't work. I can't do that. Last week we talked about forgiveness. I can't forgive. My muscles don't work. So that's what's being encouraged by our culture, by our sinful nature. And I think as the more I've thought about this and prepared for this talk, I realize that it's also encouraged by many churches, encouraged by the American church. See, because, I mean, think about it. Think about the books and the messages and the big maybe message that's so often communicated. Build up your faith. Seek your purpose. Find your destiny. Do what you are supposed to do. What are you going to do for the kingdom of God? What is your purpose? What are you, 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 you? And that's all maybe fine and good, except for that when some, that means that oftentimes when somebody else gets in the way of you doing what you feel like God has called you to do is that you either run from them or push them away because they're in the way of what you are supposed to do for God. But what if, what if what God has called us to, and in order for us to do that, it requires that we are part of the people of God. Is that if we are going to do and be who God has called us to be, it requires that we are part of the community of faith. That without the community of faith, we won't be able to do what God has called us to do. Our individualism, our, who we are as individuals, is intricately tied to us in community and in the community of faith. One of the primary mistakes of modern Christianity is that we have made faith private and individual when it should be public and communal. And see, God over the centuries has been interested and has always been interested in a people. Not just a person, but a people. If we look just in the early parts of Genesis, He makes a covenant with Abraham to establish what? A people. The children of Israel, the Israelite people were His people. And he interacts with them as a people. And we see throughout the Old Testament 
this interaction. It's actually a pretty messy interaction. And I, just to show his commitment to people and having a people, think about it. In the Old Testament, it starts with Abraham, he has his people, and they're a mess, really. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, they, they, they make golden calves out of golden earrings. They, they make a lot of mess, and then they want a king because they don't want God to lead them because they want to be like the other people, and so they get kings. And some of the kings, as recorded in the Old Testament, are great kings. Other kings are not great kings. Um, they, listen to, they oftentimes don't listen to the prophets, the guys who communicate for God to the people. Um, there's oftentimes, I mean, so, so strongly is the difficulty of God's people with God that several times they're referred to as, as, as being a prostitute or, or living in the ways of a prostitute by, by giving themselves away to another God, to other people, to, to not being wholehearted and full-heartedly in love with and in, and in line with God as His people. Now, you would think that maybe once we switch over to the New Testament and, and, and Jesus comes on the scene and the curtain is ripped in the temple and, and it's now that we don't have to have a priest that would enter for us to interact with God. We can interact with God on an individual basis that maybe God say, wow, that people thing is done. I'm tired of the people of God mess because, I mean, look at the Old Testament. That's what happens. And yet, what does he do? Almost immediately, he says, I want a people and I'm going to call them my church. And he includes, of course, the Gentiles and the whole world. What a beautiful picture of God's desire and his unfailing commitment to us as a people. And yet we so often would think, well, he's committed to me as an individual. I don't know about these people out there, but, you know, I I know he loves me. (laughs) But he's calling us as a people. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God a people belonging to God. And if we look throughout the Scriptures, there's so much community language. And in the writings of Paul, so much community language as he's encouraging us to grow in Christ. So maybe the big question that's hanging out there is why is this community of faith, people of God thing such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? If we look back to the very beginning We look back into Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We see, of course, that God creates the world. And in six days, He creates the world. And after, at the end of each day, He says something. After separating land from water, He says, this is good. After creating vegetation, He says, this is good. After creating birds and fish, He says, this is good. After creating, on the sixth day, creating man, He says, this is good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, He says, this isn't good. Now, he's not saying that about any of his creation particularly, you know, like, oh, that hippopotamus. I'm not so sure about that thing. I think not so good. Or that uh, giraffe, you know, this is, I don't think, it's not about anything that he made that he's saying it's not good. He actually says it's not good for what? For man to be alone. For any of you that have sons that have gone away to college and live in their own room, you know that it is true that it's not good for man to be alone. And so, Perfect proof, actually. Um, But you know what I find ironic or or, or so strange about that particular passage is that Adam had God. He walked with God in the cool of the day. In a perfect world, no sin. And yet God says, this is not good. So what this is, is saying to us is that 
we need more than just God. So for us to say, I don't need anybody else, I just, it's just me and God. I mean, I, my relationship and God and I'm good. Adam had it perfectly. And he says, no, you need a helper. We need helpers. We need each other. Our culture communicates to us that if we need, we are weak. And yet to be independent is to be strong. The Bible says that we are to embrace our weakness. Why? So that Christ is made strong in us. We think of that so individually, but maybe what he's talking about is us in community and in the people of God. A few years ago, some of you might know this, some, a few years ago, almost three years ago, my wife and I went through an extremely difficult time when uh, my wife was pregnant with uh, a little girl, and she, uh, we found out that there was something wrong, um, something very wrong with our little girl. She, my wife was about eight months pregnant. And, um, and the diagnosis was, was uh, not good. And, and so we started praying. There was a heartbeat. The, the baby was still alive, but the, the, it was chances of survival were slim to none. So we started praying. We started gathering our friends together. We started fasting. We started uh, just pleading with God for a miracle. And it was during that couple of weeks, because it was about two weeks later after getting that diagnosis, that our baby little girl ended up dying, but it was before that, that two weeks, and my wife ended up delivering a stillborn baby, but bef- before that two weeks was up, while the baby was still alive, there was a heartbeat inside of my wife, and, 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 and we, I, I had some pretty major financial decisions to m- make because of the birth of our baby. And because of all the questions and all the wonderings and all the, all the, the questions of, of faith and questions of practicality and and. and my, my world was spinning and upside down, as you can maybe imagine. And I didn't know which way was up, and I didn't know necessarily which way was forward. And, and, and so I didn't know what to, how to make these financial decisions that I needed to make. And so I called together a couple of friends. I explained to them the situation. I told them where I was at. I told them I, I don't know what to do. And, and I said, so I submit myself to you. And whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to second-guess you. I'm not going to um, justify myself if I decide to do something else. I'm not going to decide to do something else. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. I'm going to trust you. I'm weak right now. And I need you to help me. And they told me what to do, and I did exactly what they told me to do. But see, when we know that we need others... It makes us keenly aware that we need Jesus. See, because when we realize, wow, I, I'm, I, I need that guy. I need those girls. How much more do I really need Jesus? I mean, they can help me some. Thank God for God working through other people. But if I need them, I really need Jesus. And so if we're in biblical Christian community then when, as we recognize how much we need other people, we are going to come to a greater understanding of how much we need Jesus. Being in biblical or Christian community also communicates the gospel. It says in John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Not if you have loving feelings towards one another, But if you love one another, you lay your lives down for one another. You give your lives away for one another. 
how we deal with each other in community is directly relates to our witness to the world. We sometimes might think to go back to our tendency to think of everything so individually is we think, well, I'll just need to be a light. And that is true. But what if there's a greater light found in the way that we interact with one another? Francis Schaeffer, some of you have maybe heard of him or, or listened to him or studied with him. Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer, a theologian, apologist, said this, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. See, we want to communicate to the world that God forgives us. We can communicate that to the world by forgiving one another. We want to communicate to the world that Jesus laid his life down for us. We can communicate that to the world by laying our lives down for each other. And you say, well, that's a wonderful idea, Aaron. But that's so hard. I always get hurt. I haven't found a community quite like that. Maybe you have here at Sunday night. I think that would be really beautiful if that's the case. But I have found that any community I've ever been in, I'm always disappointed. Always. I've never found the perfect Christian community. Because there's people involved. (laughs) And we all happen to hurt each other and make it not so easy. But I... I think that maybe God had something else in mind. If we look here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, this is again Paul talking to a young Christian community and shaping their, their communal, communal uh, uh, perspective. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, there's that as God's chosen people words again. He's addressing them as not individuals, but as a group, as a community of God. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. I don't like bearing with people. I mean, bearing with people sounds kind of hard to me. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Meaning that people are going to hurt you, which means I'm going to have to forgive you. Also doesn't sound very fun or easy. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. See, this indicates that it takes work, it takes strength, it takes a a process, it takes a long time to develop this relationship, this community that bears with one another. The idea that I get when I read the phrase bearing with one another is that you, you, you have to, I always think of an annoying person. Some, you know, I've got to bear with the annoying guy. You've got to bear with somebody that's somewhat hard to, diff- hard to deal with. And yet it is in the bearing with one another and the forgiving of one another that this community actually communicates the gospel to the world. And we like to often think, well, because it's something of God, then therefore it's supposed to be easy. But I would like to suggest that the difficulty is actually part of God's plan. Glenn Packham, of course, is the pastor here at Sunday night, and I appreciate always the privilege of speaking here when he's gone. And, and, um, but Glenn and I have known each other for about a little over 10 years now, and Glenn and I have fought like dogs. And, and I mean, we've called each other names, Glenn usually more than me, but uh, 
we have to bear with one another. We have to forgive each other. I mean, we, there have been times that we have been mad at each other, and I, I've thought, I don't know, I don't need friends like this. And I'm sure he's thought the same about me. I've, if Aaron is a friend, I don't need friends. I, I, you know, I, got plenty of, I, I got plenty of enemies, so thank you very much, Aaron. I don't need you. And yet we have worked through, and it's been work, to work through and develop and continue to bear with one another and forgive one another. See, as I, read, I just read in that Colossians passage, it says to clothe ourselves with humility. We can pray for humility all we want. But you know what takes a lot of humility? It's going to ask somebody to forgive you. <laughs> See, I wonder if it's part of God's plan because he knew that people were involved. And, and you know, I mean, I don't think God said, oh, I, this is my people. And then he, all of a sudden we disappoint him because there's a mess. I think that it's part of God's plan because community is part of us becoming more like Jesus. The community, the condition of community is part of the maturing and growth process. If you think of a tree, a tree doesn't grow in a vacuum. It's got to grow in dirt. It's got to grow with sunlight, water, nutrients, and it is with those things in the right balance and the right proportion that they will actually put down roots, they will grow, and eventually produce fruit. The conditions for our growth, roots going down, us becoming mature, as Paul is encouraging here, the condition is community. The condition is the people of God through which we are going to experience growth. We can memorize Galatians 5 and the nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. But it's one thing to memorize them. It's a whole other thing to live them out. I could memorize that list and memorize some other lists of some other fruits of the Spirit or other types of ways in which I, you know, I could clothe myself with compassion and humility and gentleness and patience. But it's a whole other thing to be actually patient. I can feel really patient. But you know, I find that I, I find out if I'm really patient if, when I want to go to Walmart. <laughs> you know, you get into the line. If you ever want to get in the line that will take the longest, just get behind me. I'm convinced of it. I get into the line that has like one person in front of me and like 14 people in this line. I'm like, yes, get in that line. And while that line starts to go slowly down and eventually passes mine, the person in front of me is like paying with beads and, and pieces of cheese. And, you know, I mean, and, and of course they lose their wallet and there's a price check on 14 things. And then I find out if my feelings of patience actually mean anything for patience. Or go to a small group. If you want to find out if you have patience, go to a small group. Get involved in some sort of discipleship group or some sort of life group and find out if you really have patience. Chances are there's an annoying person there. And if you find the annoying person in your small group, chances are that's the perfect small group for you. Because it is God working through the community to help you develop patience and help you find out if you actually have it. promise you if you leave that one, you're going to go to the, another one and they're going to have the annoying guy there too. My wife and I identify my kids as helping us grow in patience and selflessness. Any parents in here know exactly what I'm talking about. We need each other if we're going to grow in community, if we're going to grow in maturity. 
Now the problem here is, and the reason that we need each other to become more like Christ, is that we have blind spots. And you might say, well, yeah, I have some blind spots, but I'm trying to find them. Well, good luck by yourself, because you won't find them. You know why? It's because that's why they're called blind spots. So the only way that you're going to identify blind spots is by having somebody else help you. I think one of the ways that you can determine whether or not you're in community is by who points out your weaknesses and blind spots to you. If it is your enemies who are pointing out your blind spots to you, chances are you're not in good community. If your enemies are communicating your blind spots to you, they're doing it because they want to destroy you. If your friends are pointing out your blind spots to you, they're doing it because they want to help you. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. If somebody tells you your blind spot, even a friend, it hurts a little bit. It stings. <laughs> You're like, oh. And it, the desire and the easy thing to do is to push them away. Because I can handle this. And I don't like to be weak. I don't like to have problems. And so I think that it's important that we surround ourselves with people that will be able to point out our blind spots. And you say, yeah, that's great, but I haven't had anybody in my community point out blind spots. Well, I think a good step one would be to invite people into your life in such a way that you say, you know, um, I just want to give you permission. I want to give you permission to speak into my life. I want to give you permission to, to point out blind spots or point out areas of my life that you think need growth. If, I'm, if, I'm a, if I do something, please let me know. You're like, okay, thank you very much. I've had people say that to me. I don't know if you've had people say that to you. I've had people say that to me, and even when they say that, then I know there's something, you know, a week, a couple weeks, a couple months later. There's always still a hesitancy to telling them. I, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, but still a little difficult. That doesn't mean I shouldn't do it, but I would actually encourage us maybe to go a step further. What if you were to gather a couple of your trusted friends around you and say, I, I, I'd like to ask you some questions. Um, what is it like being my friend? Now, their initial response may be like, oh, it is awesome. It's the best thing. You're the best friend anybody could ever have. And you're like, okay, thank you very much. Now, this is what I want, a really honest response, but I don't want you to respond right now. I want you to take a week and pray about it and think about it and come back in a week and we'll talk. And I want you to be I'm serious. I want you to be serious. Or maybe instead of that question, and certainly these aren't the only two, but you could say, um, I want you to think and pray about two to three things or areas of my life that you think I could need to, to grow in. Or a couple of areas of my life that are blind spots. Two or three, not 17, please. And when they come back to you and they say, you're defensive, don't say, no, I'm not. <laughs> don't try and justify yourself. Just listen. And then invite them to help you. What a wonderful way to cultivate and develop the community of God around you. And to identify some of the wonderful blind spots that we have. See, we might walk into a church or a church service or some sort of small group and, and recognize or think, okay, this is wonderful, but Aaron, do you realize how many crazy people there are? Think about family, though. How many of you have crazy Aunt Sally or crazy Aunt Jimmy? Or you know, a few hands are going up already. You're like, oh yeah, crazy. Crazy John, crazy J Jimmy, crazy grandpa, crazy sister, crazy brother, crazy baby. You're, maybe you feel like you're the only sane one in your family. But, but that's just part of the family. And the, the thing to do is to figure out how to 
work with and be a part of the family together. And you think, man, I have a couple of crazy uncles, but I, I'm pretty sure that this family is full of crazy uncles. Take a moment and just think about the most annoying person you can think of in your life. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you're sitting right next to them. Maybe it's somebody at your small group. Maybe it's somebody that, um, that you've known for a while. I'm not sure. Just take a second and think about that person. Now, what if we, under what we've been talking about a little bit tonight, as far as the community of God being part of what God does to develop Himself in us, if we were to start to look at those people as gifts, that they're a gift to us, for God to work Himself out in us. And they help to expose areas of our hearts, maybe not about them and how annoying they are, but about different things going on inside of us. Maybe how judgmental we are. Maybe how difficult of a time we have forgiving people. Maybe how impatient we are. How we don't clothe ourselves with humility. How we don't like to be weak and we like to be independent and we like to be an individual isolated by ourselves. We like to be in control, and we can't control them. And we don't like looking at those things, and we like to point the finger back at the annoying guy that brings those things out in us. Instead of thinking, wow, this person is a gift. (laughs) Because they're allowing me to see myself and to see the different areas of my heart and my life that God would want to work out in me so that I can be more like him. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 in the message, it says, Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. All crazy people. All of them. And yet, sometimes I find that we haven't embraced this. And this is why I think I said from the beginning that this is maybe something that's that seeped into even our understanding of Christianity. And so we walk into a church service, or we walk into a small group, and the first things we start doing is we start evaluating. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that singer guy up here. I didn't like the piano dude over there. Or I didn't like this. Or it was a little loud. Or it was a little bright. Or, you know, man, I really love that song. Oh, worship tonight was so good. It's like, a, I'd probably give it an 8.9. It was good. But last week, it was more like a 7.3. So I'm really glad they threw in my favorite song tonight, Who's oh, it was awesome. And the speaker, you know, I really, I, I, actually I love it when Glenn's here. Aaron, you're nice and all, but I really prefer, I prefer Glenn. He's smarter than you are and because um, he's smarter than anyone. And so, so I like him, but, but you know, I, I like that. But, you know, I really like when David Perkins comes because he screams a lot and he sings a lot. And, you know, I like that. But, you know, and I kind of like this part. And it's a little cold in here. It's a little hot in here. It's a little this. I don't know about the communion, communal thing, and this, and I'm not sure about that, and all the teaching's not deep enough, or it's too deep, or it's this. And before we know it, all we're doing is we come and we evaluate it as some sort of, as if we're some sort of consumer, maybe recognizing and thinking, it doesn't matter. Aaron Stern could be up here leading worship, which you really don't want. And it really couldn't matter because, it shouldn't matter because what if we realize that it's the gathering together of the supernatural, God-breathed, Holy Spirit-infested community of God. That it's not about, well, I don't know, is this kind of meeting my needs? Am I meeting my individual pursuit of God? That maybe there's something so much deeper, so much more profound, 
so much more rich, so much maybe more difficult. But it's God working Himself out in us. Let's stand up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you have always wanted and had a people. And that even though when we are not faithful to you, you're faithful to us. And as we read here in Ephesians and throughout the scriptures, we see you shaping a community. You're shaping your people. And I pray, God, that we would learn to not just think so individually as our culture pushes and presses us to do, but instead we would think communally. We would think as a community of God. For some of us here tonight, maybe that means that we begin with repentance. Repentance for not honoring and embracing your body, trusting and knowing that you are the head and you work with the body. We have not honored and embrace your bride, the church. Because we get so bothered, because there's so many difficulties to it and so many ways in which we may even get hurt that we think, well, that's not of God and so I'm just going to go take me and me and God. That'll be good. And so God, I pray that if any of us in here are in a place where we, we've sinned against your body or we have thought poorly of your body, we repent and we Embrace, love your body. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would understand and embrace our weakness so that you can be made strong in us, not just as individuals, but as a community. I pray that we would embrace community, the community of faith, the Holy Spirit at work in us, through each other, producing and growing us into men and women of God, a community of God, the people of God, declaring to the world that you are alive, declaring to the world that you have forgiven us because we forgive others, declaring to the world that you have laid your life down for us because we lay our lives down for one another. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not run from difficulty in in community, but instead we would embrace it and see it as a gift because it is you working yourself out in us. It is the body of Christ working itself out to become who you've called us to be. And so, Lord Jesus, may we not just like the idea of church, and not just like the idea of the community of God, but I pray that we would be the community of God. Be who you've called us to be, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.